0: Second um, Peter chapter 2 verses 17 through 22. We're going to try to get through there um, today. We've been going through as you know first and second Peter we're in second Peter now and we've kind of looked at it from a macro standpoint to say that the first the, uh, Peter is about the attacks that are mounted um, against the church from the outside and then second Peter is the attacks that come from the inside. It's amazing how, when you study God's Word and you and you're in God's Word, you see how how could anybody ever uh, doubt its relevance? How could anybody anybody ever apologize for it as not being relevant? It's more up to date than uh, far up, more up to date than today's paper, and um, we're thankful for it. And you look at it and you go, you know what? The more the things you look around, you realize there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, there've been these kind of attacks mounted from the start, and it will be until our Lord comes and puts down every enemy and he, and he will indeed do that and we're looking at the false teacher not so much necessarily um, specifically about what they teach but some of that but their character and nature from which uh, it comes and then we uh, coming off of looking at Balaam and we took a a look at Balaam and a uh, curious Bible character you go back and look at the account of him in the Old Testament and uh, and, and realize that uh, the New Testament certainly marks him out as being a false prophet, and the things he did and what motivated him, we find in the in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers. We found by looking at it that in Numbers chapter 31 verse 16, that Balaam um, called upon the king, the Moabite king. He gave him some counsel of how to mess up God's people, and that was to lure them into a trap of. Uh, immorality and and pagan worship and that brought about what would you'd expect would be the judgment of God and um, thousands upon thousands of people were killed until an end was put to that and God said take all the leaders who are uh, among you and take all the people that are responsible for this and hang them publicly and he did and when he did that and and called it out and called out the sin for what it was the judgment stopped but um, and we looked at the fact and we rejoiced in the fact that God's people can't be cursed. We're not under a curse anymore. That Jesus Christ became a curse in our stead. He, t- he took upon the, the, uh, the penalty for us being His lawbreakers in, in our place. He died in our place. Our substitutionary atoning sacrifice of our great God, of His dear Son. And therefore, we're no longer under a curse. And, of course, Balaam was called upon by the Moabite king to curse God's people. And God wouldn't let him do it because you can't. And uh, there's nothing like we've talked about many times before that the enemy can do about our relationship. Um, He can try to cast doubts on it and do a lot of things, but he can't change it. Once you have a relationship through repentance and faith toward God and and His dear Son, that's an eternal, secure position. But he then goes about trying to do whatever he can to mess up our fellowship. Because he knows if he can mess up our fellowship then render us and hamstring the witness of the church and make it ineffective and and, um, and and surely do we see that in our day I mean really the influence of the church in America and our culture is, um, is weighing thin and so um, we are asking God to change that at least among us in our testimony that we be crystal clear about who we are the ones to whom we believe And our faith would cause no one to reason. They might reject our faith, but let's not do anything to confuse them about what it really looks like. And so, in that regard, uh, to enter into a relationship with the Lord, uh, to enter into that relationship, the very Gospel itself, we have up here on these banners. And that's why we have them up here. And uh, according to Romans chapter 3, verse 25, on the cross, God demonstrated His righteousness. Showed Himself to be a just god according to romans chapter 5 verse 8 on the cross god also demonstrated his love showed himself to be a savior so the bible says in isaiah chapter 45 verse 21 that god is a a just god and a savior because he's just uh, and demonstrated that justice on the cross he calls men and women and boys and girls to repent because He demonstrated His love on the cross showing Himself to be a Savior He calls men and women and boys and girls to to put faith in Jesus Christ so according to Acts chapter 20 verse uh, 21 chapter 20 verse 21 the gospel is received by repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ and God uses what? to show a lost person his or her need of salvation The the law The law is like a mirror. And God holds it up in front of us and He shows us what we look like not to ourselves, what we look like not to others, but what we look like to Him. And then He shows us that the cleansing agent for what we see all over our face, the blackness of sin, is what? The blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so therefore... The gospel is all that matters. And we want to know. We want to be able to have it embedded in our heart. What is the gospel? Uh, and, uh, And how do you receive it? And so we see on the cross all of those attributes of God coming together in this great chorus of praise of what He's really like. Let's let God speak for God. Everybody else tries to speak for God. He's better at it than we are. So let's let Him speak for Himself. So... Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 2 and we're going to pick up where we left off verses 17-22. If you're physically able, will you stand with me as we read God's precious Word? The Bible says that the false teachers are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the, blackest, the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually... Escape from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But as it is, uh, but it has happened to them according to the true pro- proverb a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow, having washed to her, wallowing in the mire. That's the word of the living God. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Father, thank you so very much for your word. We thank you. It is a transcendent, holy, but yet ever relevant word. It's straight from you. And Lord, we're looking at it, we want to see it through the prism that, through which You wrote it, and that's to see Your Son in all of His glory. We're thankful, Lord, that He's more than enough. And, and to You be the glory, that You great things You have done. And certainly, the the pinnacle achievement was for You to uh, to, um, to purchase our salvation that You planned before the foundation of the world through His perfect obedience by laying down His life on the cross of Calvary. And then three days later, Bodily raising Him from the dead. Showing us that He was offered up for our sins, but He was raised for our justification. And now we can be confident that through repentance toward You and faith in Your dear Son, that we are eternally secure. That nothing can separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus. And we have the same persuasion that Paul did that whatever is pitted against us and whatever enemy comes to attack, all of those attacks are rendered unsuccessful because it is his God who justifies And if You've justified us, who is He to condemn? Thank You so very much that our case has gone to the highest court there is. The gavel has come down. And for those who repented and put faith in Your Son, the verdict is not guilty. Thank You so very much. Thank You for the glory of justification by faith. Thank You that we got saved by grace through faith. We're kept by grace through faith. And we're eternally secure and have the hope of future glory by grace through faith. Thank You, Lord. We rejoice as Your children this morning. And for those among us maybe who have not yet come to saving faith, we pray for them, maybe the younger ones who are the gospel is being planted in their hearts daily by their parents. And uh, we pray for them that they'll grow. And we know that in the Scriptures You told Timothy through Your servant Paul that they're able to make us wise unto salvation. May that happen today. That the seeds will go down deep and fall down deep in all of our hearts saved or unsaved, and God, that there will be eternal fruit that grows thereby. God, I pray that You will nourish us and establish deep roots downward so that great fruit grows upward. And we look forward to what You're doing and thank You for what You have done. And truly, to You be the glory. In the sweet and precious name of Your Son, we pray. Amen. We've looked at this before, and sure enough, it becomes no surprise to us that the false teachers of our day we see and have seen, and we'll see unfortunately more of them until the Lord comes. Motivated by money, ego, popularity, power, and all the things that are intertwined with that, that um, in order to uh, pander to their own um, own uh, egocentric self. But take the Bible and use it to manipulate its truth to mess up others. But the spirit of the world does the same thing. We have it all around us. You don't have to just be able to brandish a Bible and abuse it. The spirit of the age and what we're taught <clears throat> in the spirit of this secular world we live in about what it means to have life and secure life and and uh, and enjoy peace and and uh, all the appetites that, that, that we try to satisfy any other way except through Brokenness, repentance of faith in Jesus Christ. And these, as it says in verse 17, are wells without water, clouds carried out by, carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Like, like we've looked about in here time and again, uh, the place the false teacher is headed is hell. These are, these are those who are not saved. These are not just those who uh, teach error. They teach error because they're unregenerate. They don't know the Lord. A lot like we've talked about before, those who would t- take this book and abuse it and twist it and twist the meaning of it use our words. They just don't use our dictionary. And so the words they use have different meanings than the way that we understand them to I mean. But if you're in the Middle East and you come upon a well that has no water, that's a great disappointment. If you think about it, if you're parched in the middle of the desert, and uh, you're in a place where there's not an ample supply of water, and you come upon a well, uh, you get giddy because you're thinking, man, I'm about to be refreshed, and maybe even my life's to be rescued. And you look down at the well, and you draw from the well, and realize there's no water in it. It's a huge, huge, huge disappointment. If you're in a place in the Middle East, and you see a cloud coming that's carried about by a storm, and a strong wind, and the wind blows the clouds right on by so rapidly that no rain comes from it. That's a huge, huge, huge disappointment. The promise for rain never comes. The water that you expect to be at the bottom of a well is not there. This is the pathology of false teaching. They're making claims about God and uh, claims about what their egocentric uh, theology can produce. And they write checks they cannot cash. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? In the Garden of Eden, when Satan tempted Adam and Eve, and he said, you know what? What you have is insufficient. There's more. And, and, and so if you'll, uh, if you'll just get over this business about God just getting to be God, and, and you'll just get beyond that, here's the truth about Him. He's holding out on you. There's something up His sleeve. And He can give you more if you wanted to, but He's stingy and He's insecure. God's dysfunctional. That was the first time that anybody had ever been labeled dysfunctional. Was in the Garden of Eden. God's dysfunctional, and He make it. He, he's He's not really all of that. And so, why don't you assert your freedom to do what you want to do and take things in your own hands and become just like Him? And still so goes on the day. God's dysfunctional. He makes claims that He cannot keep through repentance and pure faith in Him. There's 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 this itch. There's this urge to say that. Um, that Jesus is just not enough, and so uh, the, the 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 whole Christian life comes to the point where it's not God-centered, but it's man-centered. That's where we are. We're man-centered. Even our music and and sometimes the way we perceive it. Not so much this morning. I'm not talking about that. To God be the glory. It's a great song. It's it's stood the test of time. But in reality, hasn't it become that our patterns of worship are more to pander to the to the consumer than it is to please the Savior. Isn't it more about whether or not, you know, it's almost like we're in a diving contest and we sit in judgment as judges along the side and we leave the service and everybody holds up a a score. You know, you do the diving, you remember the Olympic diving and they get up there and do these all these shenanigans and then then all the judges go up and do like that and they hold up there. You know, oh, we got a 10 this morning. Mmm, it was a 2. You know, our whole approach needs to change. We shouldn't, we shouldn't approach God to find out what we can get from Him. We should approach God to find out if we can be rightly related to Him. And then goodness flows from there. We want what He can do. We just don't want Him. We want God on our terms. And that is absolute repentance and faith in His Son and trust. because It calls for denial of self. It calls for renunciation of self. i found in certainly pastoral ministry... That many times folks will come to you for counsel, and here's what they're asking you to do. How can, how can I hold on to my rebellion and my fleshly appetites and at the same time enjoy the blessing of God? Then you find out you have no they have you you have no answer for them unless you want to lie. And they'll say, Well, I tell you what. We'll go find a counselor that'll tell us that answer that question. There are plenty enough of them out there, too. Plenty enough of them out there. And so i tell you what, here's how you can remain in your sin and yet claim the promises of God for His blessing. And no, no, no call for repentance. No call for uh, brokenness. None of that. Just let me have a theology that we can eke out where we can have our cake and eat it too. You can have your cake. But it comes to identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of God's dear Son. Jesus ran into this, no surprise, in His earthly ministry. He still runs into it today. But specifically when He was on this earth. Go with me to John chapter 6. Go look at John chapter 6, if you will. You'll remember this. John chapter 6, verses 22-29. It's one of the seven... I Am statements in the Gospel of John that Jesus says of Himself. And right here on verse 22, He says, On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which His disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples, but His disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When well, the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they, saw, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were fulfilled. Do not labor for food which perishes but for food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set His seal on Him. And they said to Him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. They wanted the things that Jesus had given but they didn't want Jesus. They were seeking Him for everything they stand to gain from it. And we know the gospel truth is that once you enter into a relationship with Christ, you stand to lose. But everything you wind up losing is everything that binds you. And then you get free and you find out what real freedom is and you walk in it by following Him. You're seeking freedom the wrong way. And when you seek freedom the wrong way, all it leads to is slavery. So when it says in verse 18 and back in 2 Peter, They speak great swelling words of emptiness. They allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. And so here's the deal. We've found a way to hang on to your fleshly desires and your sensuality and at the same time embrace someone we've made up called Jesus. Not the biblical Jesus, but the one that we've come up with. You see, you know what? A promise of liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. And for for by whom a person is overcome, by him he is also brought into bondage. There's no freedom. There's nothing but further enslavement. It's trying to get yourself out of quicksand. The more you struggle, the deeper you go. And If after they've escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ they're entangled again and overcome the latter end for them would be worse than the beginning. It's not with someone who is saved and then turns away from genuine salvation. It's someone who flirts with salvation and flirts with God and turns away from the flirtatious nature to a God that suits their appetite. And they'll call Him Jesus, that's okay. The reason it's worse is because if you hold on to or get around and get some knowledge and then reject it, you're in worse shape than you would if you never had the knowledge in the first place, because with greater accountability comes greater judgment. You can make a case in the Bible, and the Bible's clear about this, that God's judgment is commensurate with the revelation He gives you. And so you get the revelation and turn around and reject what's given, and worse more, try to lure other people into that trap. The latter end is worse than it would be for the first. When it says the pollutions here, that's things that come, what that word means, is things that come from persons with infectious infections and contagious diseases or dead and corrupt bodies that are stagnant and putri- putrid or water, which is unhealthy and certainly not safe to drink. If it's ingested, ingested, it causes disease and death. The whole world is one great diseased man. A church leader once said, lying extended from the east to the west and to the north to the south. And to heal this great sick man, the almighty physician ascended from heaven. The world wants to lure us back into its trap. And there are plenty of enough people who will be uh, lining the path, alleging faith in Christ to lead us down that path. The holy commandment was given that they say they turn away from. And that holy commandment is what Jesus spoke in John chapter 6. That you have faith and believe in the One whom God has sent. It's the kind of Christianity that says that you can be a worldly Christian. You can have a secular mindset and all that goes along with it. You can still think the way you used to think. There's no call for renewal of mind. There's no call for renouncing things that you've held that you found out through the Bible are just flat not true. Much of what it means to grow as a Christian is to unlearn a lot of things you thought were true about God that really are not informed by His Word so the dog gets rid of the corruption inside through vomiting it up but it seduces him back he can't leave well enough alone. goes to sniffing it again and lo and behold digests that which he vomited up it's a serious thing this, this thing that's happened to us. It's a serious thing that we've so bled into the spirit of the age the Christian faith is almost non-recognizable. We don't love and pray for one another. We don't encourage one another on the sidelines for holy living. We can live holy because we've been made holy and that is still God's concern. And you know what really holiness means? You know what it means? It means a complete life. Whole. W-H-O-L-E. It's the complete life. It means that through repentance and faith in Christ, I have everything. As a matter of fact, I go into the Bible and I'm informed daily of what the glory is of what I have in Him. And the inheritance I have in Him. Hallelujah. It doesn't leave you weighed in the balances and found wanting. It leaves you at rest. I was thinking about this when I was looking through these scriptures and praying over them. I love what Fanny Crosby wrote. Perfect submission. All is at rest. I am my Savior and happy and blessed. Watching and waiting. Looking above. Filled with His goodness. Lost in His love. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Hallelujah. I was thinking about the, It is well with my soul. (laughs) When Andrew and I were getting in the car early this morning, and that lyric just popped up to me. What did he say? He said that, Whatever my life, Whatever my life, God's taught me to say, It is well with my soul. And you know what? I found that to be enough. Because I found Him to be enough. I found Him to be enough. He's enough down there because I've been down there. And while I was down there, I found it to be enough. He's enough over there because the I was over there and I got way over yonder. I found it to be enough. And when I was way over here, I found out that way over there, in a place I never thought I'd find myself, I never had plans for life to lead me here. And I got there, and guess what I found out? He's more than enough. And then every now and then, I go up to the highest of high, and it'll be glorious. And I find out there that He's more than enough. That is the prayer that God has given us for this fellowship. That God by His grace would give us a comprehension of what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height of the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that we may be filled with all the fullness of Him. Every temptation, does it not have as its source, especially for the believer, that God is just simply not enough. Books of the Bible are written. The book of Colossians is to say, Jesus Christ is enough. The substance is Christ. He's enough. He is everything. If you have the Son, you have the life. If you do not have the Son, you do not have the life. These things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. 1 John. To have a settledness and a peace, the kind of Christianity that is thoroughly biblical, the only kind, and that is to say that I have an anchor that has entered within the veil And my faith does not operate on the whims of my emotions or the opinions of others. It is a well-anchored faith that Jesus Christ, the forerunner, went in to the very throne room of heaven and purchased for me, whereby I have access to go to that same throne room with credentials to stand there, and not only to be there and be present, but to while there speak to the sovereign God of it all. It reminds me, and I've told you this before. It's just a vivid example of this, just vivid, vivid. And I know it has to do with regeneration, and not so much sanctification, but a little bit of both. But I did have a dear, a friend. i have a dear friend of mine. He was, he and I used to go to the same church together years ago. We vacationed together with their family, and he was working at a carpet mill up in. Dalton, I've told you this and shared it, but I just thought of this this morning. Again, thinking of this, and there was a lady who had befriended him, beside him, by one of the areas where they worked. She was a Christian woman, godly lady. It's built a relationship with him, and over time started sharing the gospel with him, and ultimately. And this is not something I heard from somebody else. This is firsthand. And I know this guy. In a dysfunctional family, to the point. We're all dysfunctional by the way but he had a dysfunctional family to the point where he saw his stepfather shoot and kill his biological father and he was standing there at nine years old and saw it happen in front of the house. And so you think, well, probably prison might be where he winds up one day with that kind of mess going on except for Jesus. And so this woman befriends him and he's clueless. He's clueless about anything, headed for a life of destruction. <clears throat> Culminates him going to dinner over their house one night and he crumbled and fell under the weight of his sin and he got saved in her living room. And went back to the mill, the carpet mill, and word got out that he became a Christian. And there were folks who were coming around him and said, well, you know what? Now that you're saved, uh, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit evidenced by speaking in tongues. You need this. You need that. And here's the question he posed. It was a good question. He said, let me ask you a question. When I was headed for hell, lost in my sin, where were you? Hmm. But all of a sudden, you've got answers that this dear woman doesn't have who shared the gospel with me. I think I'm going to kind of follow in her trajectory. Because when I was lost in sin, she's the one who told me about Jesus. i tell you something. I believe in the second blessing. You know what the second blessing is? The second blessing is to discover what all you've got in the first one. To come to a discovery of the riches of the inheritance of the children of God. That's the second blessing. That's the third one. And the fourth one. And the fifth one. And the sixth one. And I've lost count. Those are the blessings to find out what really happened when He got a hold of you in the first one. But I'm going to tell you something right now. Don't ever, if you're saved this morning, don't ever get over it. Ask God to help you to never get over being saved. We get over it. Some of the evidences. I'll tell you an evidence of getting over being saved. is to look with a critical eye toward those who are not and be surprised by how they live. Because we were to remember. That's where we once were. To see somebody in a state of lostness that seems to be hopeless, that means you got over getting saved. You need to stoke the fire. Because God can flat save anybody and evidence of that is the person who stares you back in the mirror. Amen. To get over it is to get over first love. It is to move beyond to a dangerous zone where we're open and vulnerable to the shenanigans of anybody who wants to abuse this book or in the secular society who certainly scorns its witness and the Christ it points to. He gives us a great example of that. Y'all are familiar with this. We can go different places with this, but we'll just skip over it right here like a pedal going over the... Over the, uh, over, the, over the pond, simply because we don't have time enough to get into it this morning. But look at Matthew chapter 12, if you will, <clears throat> verse 43. <clears throat> Dear ones, if you belong to the, if you belong to the Savior, stoke the fire. If you belong to the Savior, let's ask Him really to get us back to our first love. And you know what? And doing the Roman study with a group of folks and journeying through that and studying Romans over and over and over again, I came to the place where I really believe that when the Lord told the Ephesian church that I have this against you, that you left your first love. I do not believe that He was talking about their love for Him. I believe it was that they lost their appreciation for His love for them. Because we love Him because He first loved us. I would have no love for the Lord, no appetite for His Word, and no desire to obey Him were it not for Him. You realize that? Is that true? Who works within us both to will and to do for His good pleasure? Me? Before you got saved, who seeks God? You seek God? Three times in the Scripture, no one seeks God. No one's done good. No, not one. We are filthy apart from Christ. He sought us. We didn't seek Him. And then turns around and gives us the appetite to change it. And we seek Him after we're saved. And all of it is attributed to Him. Not one single time do we enter in there. Not once. But if if somehow or another, this notion, even in the smallest matter, takes root, that we have a faith that's insufficient, and we have a Christ who is is, is wanting, and therefore we're wanting, and we have appetites and, and desires that go unfilled. If that just ever takes root, then we're vulnerable for the pitch of just almost anybody. Do you ever just kind of sit in amazement and just go, how 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 ridiculous we can be from the voices, some of the voices that seem to take root and have prominence? And you just go, how could that be? How could that person how, get more than the, the time of day out of his mouth? And certainly for anybody to subscribe to it. Is because the devil comes in and deceives us into thinking that we have a faith that is wanting, that Jesus Christ plus something makes us complete. And the Bible says that we are complete in Him. Now, either that's true or that's not. And the seed bed of almost every ditch that we get in is for us not to believe that. And then we're right to the Garden of Eden. God's holding that on you. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Didn't turn out the way you thought it would. <laughs> this outcome is different than what you anticipated. Oh, I've been faithful, and God seems to have not paid the favor back. Hmm. The pig died. You know, something's going wrong. Something's air here. Uh, it's off. He's holding out on He's got something up his sleeve. And you go, wait a minute. No, no, God doesn't have anything up his sleeve except this. He's going to do whatever he's going to do in my circumstances, by which he's sovereign over, to conform me to the image of his son. And that takes some doings. Because apart from him, I am a gooberhead. You know, but look at it. Look at it in Matthew twelve forty three. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. And then he says, "I'll return to my house from which I came." And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. And so shall it be also with this wicked generation. There is no reformation without regeneration. But regeneration causes reformation. And regeneration is preceded by repentance. And repentance is regeneration in Christ. And that's when we get clean. If we try to get clean by any other method, then the Bible shows us right here. You clean the house and clean up and do moral changes and make moral changes that we're called upon to make. But yet there's not a filling of the Holy Spirit, then the enemy latches on in greater fervor and strength than he had before, and you're in worse shape than you were in the beginning because there was an emptying, but there was no filling. And the Holy Spirit comes in to a believer, and the devil can't come in. But the Holy Spirit comes into a believer, and he is more than enough. And whatever changes he makes, and there are some, they come as he leads us and empowers us and gives us the appetite to change. So so sad that there are those who call for reformation without meeting the Redeemer. I told you before, my grandfather was part-time chaplain at Wizallo State Prison. My grandfather was like John the Baptist. As a matter of fact, his name was John, and he was a Baptist preacher. Um, and he was bold as a lion, in a kind way, but he was bold as a lion. And so, and he'd tell all those prisoners. And he'd sit around, and I remember him just saying this. I've been there before with him when he was ministering to him. And he say, "You know, the state of Georgia wants to be here rehabilitate you." If you get rehabilitated, you'll come back here. But the Jesus Christ wants to regenerate you. And when you get regenerated, you walk out that door, if you do get your freedom, you we won't see you again. Except maybe to give testimony of what God did for you while you're in here. That's the truth, isn't it? It's a great thing. And so regeneration, the relationship, and the fellowship. When that fellowship is enjoyed and secured by a sure relationship with Christ, the house is cleaned, but it doesn't remain empty. It's filled with God Himself, through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you are saved, we've talked about this many times before, but we have to do this because there's so much shenanigans about this out there. If you are saved, the Holy Spirit lives inside you. There is no condition in the Christian life where somebody gets saved and gets the Holy Spirit later. That is not true. You are not on some probationary exercise with God, like employers who put you on a 90-day thing to see if whether or not your performance is going to merit you being, you being a permanent hire. Once you got in, and you and I got in, we got in. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, if man does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And the Holy Spirit. So there's one indwelling, but there's many fillings. And as we yield our lives over to him, believing that he's enough, we get filled with the Holy Spirit keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit and that room's not empty it's clean but it's flat not empty it's full it's full hallelujah then we have a God-centered faith rather than a man-centered faith we talked about this before you know the planet our earth is three planets over from the sun but we act like the earth's in the middle of the solar system but the sun is and that's the way we as Christians do we think we're in the center of everything But the son is S-O-N. And when he takes over, and he's the sinner, the house is clean. And then you find out something that's glorious to find out. Is growth of the Christian life really a way of saying it? Is that you grow in your understanding that Jesus Christ plus nothing equals everything? The false teacher would say no. We got to have all these other things. We got to have the world says no. The world says just keep that to yourself. You know, if you just parse things out, you know, every time I marry somebody, I'm only married one time, but I'm talking about every time I perform a marriage. This is one of my marital counseling I always say this. I say, so Here's what, here's the world cut a deal with you in your marriage. This is the deal. And say, Okay, you got your faith over here, you got your professional life over here, you got your recreational life over here, you got your uh, church life over here, you got this, that, and the other. you got all these divisions in your life. We'll be fine with you if you'll keep this church stuff and this faith stuff right here. Don't bring it out here. You keep it right there. And if you keep it right there and play by the rules and be a good little Christian, we'll leave you alone. And you know what? We'd never enter into a deal like that in profession, but we cut that deal every day in practice. We cut that deal every day in practice. Because you know why? Keeps us out of trouble. Keeps us away from the cross. But if we say, no, 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 I don't have a this life and a that, my life's not in segments. Because here's what I've come to discover Christ is not a part of my life, Christ is my life. So if you got me, you have Jesus. And I can't help but that to come out in the way I perform for you as an employer. I cannot help for that to come out the way I relate to you as a neighbor. I cannot help for that to come out the way I relate to other believers. I can't. I just can't. Because that is who I am because of whose I am. I've been bought with a price. Amen. And dwelt by the Holy Spirit. You do not have a faith that has been weighed in the balance and found wanting. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, every word of God is pure and He is a shield to those who put their trust in Him. You know what that word pure means? It means tested. Every word of God has been tested and put to the test. And guess what? is solid, pure, and eternally true. Because the God it comes from is eternally true. And He is trustworthy. You know one of the ways that God stokes the fire of first love? It's the Lord's Supper. Communion. Is that not right? Because communion is a reminder of the glories of the cross of Jesus and what that means to you and I and who that means to you and I. So we're going to take communion right now. And let's, let's embrace it the way that the Bible portrays it. And that is, it's a love feast. It is. It's a, it's a time to receive God's love and have something go on among us that speaks with, with words that are really too deep for words. To take that cup and take that bread and to commune with God and realize that communion did not come at just just God saying, well, I'll overlook everything. It came from a just God who overlooks nothing. No sin ever goes unpunished. The question is, who are we going to trust? Are we going to trust ourselves and take the punishment ourselves or are we going to trust Christ who took it for us? Because no sin is left unpunished. None. Because God is is a just God. And so now we can celebrate at this cup two warnings we need to go let's go first Corinthians chapter 11 relationship and fellowship first Corinthians chapter 11 what it says in verse 27 therefore whoever eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. God will never, as a believer, ever punish you for sin. But He will discipline you and me for it. And before He has to get out the belt and take us to the woodshed, He gives us opportunities to repent. Isn't that wonderful? And this is a time, before we take up that cup, to go through a time of examination, is the relationship there? Have I ever repented toward God and put faith in Jesus Christ? If the relationship is there, am I in fellowship with the Lord? Or am I embracing known sin and continue to make excuses for it and refuse to repent? Let that change today and repent right where you are. Just like I need to repent where I am if that's the case with me. So that we can take this cup born out of relationship and fellowship. And we can sit at the table of our Lord and sit at a table that we were have a right to sit at because of the Christ laid down His life on the cross to purchase our right to be there. And so, let's examine ourselves. And so while we're preparing here, would it be great if we just took a moment to bow our heads and close our eyes and ask the Lord to search our hearts and prepare for this great great act of worship that God has given us. Father, we come to You in the name of Your Son, and we thank You so very much for the faithfulness of Your Word. And the reason Your Word is faithful is because You are faithful. We're thankful, Lord, that You and Your attributes are not um, separate. You act because of who You are. And we thank You, Lord, that You are the perfect, holy God of this universe. We're thankful, Lord, that through one man sin entered the world and thus death through sin and death spread to all men because all men have sinned. But yet, through Christ, we have been reconciled to You. It's a reconciliation we as believers will not one day enjoy, but is true now. It's true now. And now we can sit at Your table. Would You search our hearts? God, if there is any need for us to repent, any need, illuminate that, give us understanding, and God help us to be wise enough to repent, dear ones. In the next few moments, be better. If you're not willing to repent this morning and deal with the sin, to let the cup and the bread pass by, to drink this in an unworthy manner. An unworthy manner doesn't mean. Uh, it means this. It means to take it in a manner that's flippant and irreverent in light of the fact that you're in unrepentant sin and refuse to do anything about it. And so, let's repent this morning. Not for relationship if you're in relationship, but for fellowship. We have the promise that God says if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness.